Um, my grandmother grew up uh, in a town just about, you know, 10 miles away from where Henry and Alexis family in the same time in history. And so there's like a kind of connection in that sort of way. You know, I'm a, I'm a black student in this place that's, you know, a bunch of people, a uh, very wealthy institution. I've already learned like a week before we had this orientation, you know, it feels like everybody's parents there or, you know, on faculty at the school. Because if I felt like in my time, it felt like it was kind of only left up to us black people to try and do this. And if, if that's the case, it's not really going to work because it's not enough of us around to make that make that uh, the change that needs to happen. So I feel like there's a much better kind of cross racial alliance in, in our world as far as trying to make this better. Those things allow you to get in the room with people and to break down barriers. And so being able to feel as comfortable talking about, you know, dunking on somebody, of course, of course, I love to do. All Hello, welcome to the Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle podcast where normal people with extraordinary lives share their experiences with you. We are most excited today because we have Dr. Tweedy who's on our podcast. All right, let me read a quick bio here. Dr. Damon Tweedy is an associate professor of psychiatry at Duke University School of Medicine and a staff psychiatrist within the Durham Veteran Affairs Healthcare System. He completed both medical school and his specialty training at Duke. He also graduated from Yale Law School. Within the VA system, he directs a team of mental health providers working across five primary care clinics. At the medical school, he leads behavioral health seminar for second year medical students and is a small group leader for another course that introduces medical students to advanced aspects of doctor-patient relationships. He is also the faculty advisor for the Medical Student Psychiatry Interest Group. Dr. Tweedy has written extensively about the intersection of race and medicine in both academic journals and popular print publications. His 2015 book, Black Man in a White Coat, A Doctor's Reflections on Race and Medicine, made the New York Times bestseller list, for good reason, and was selected by Time Magazine as a top nonfiction book of the year. With that, Dr. Tweedy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, fellas, for having me. All right. So quick question for you. Um, <clears throat> I was trying to figure out how I could articulate my excitement about having you on the podcast. And the, here's the word picture I came up with. Imagine being a 14-year-old boy going to a buffet and wanting to pull your chair up to the buffet to consume it all. And then it hits you. The reality is you can't consume it all. So I... With my excitement, I'd love to dive into every aspect of your your background and training and and but I can't so I have to consume those portions those portions that I can and just and just be content with that. So that's, that's kind of what's going on in my head right now in terms of my level of excitement of having you on the podcast. So um, let's start from the beginning. Tell us about your background, where you came from, and uh, we'll build on that. Well, first, I'll tell you, I remember being that 14-year-old boy. Uh, back in the day, there were these places called, I think it was called Duffs and Horn and Horns. And man, I remember being that 14-year-old boy just coming back for fourth, third, fourth, fifth, and you know, just trying to like uh, stock up and eating so much the food, you, your stomach hurt after. So yeah, you, right. just brought back some, you just brought back some memories when you when you said that. Okay, um, okay. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I'm sure everywhere you guys are from, you probably had a similar kind of spot as, sure. as those places. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm from uh, Maryland area. They call it the DMV area now, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's uh, suburban, uh, right outside of Washington D.C. Uh, my parents met in D.C. Um, they lived there and they moved out to, to Maryland when I was um, my brother was small. Um, so it's called Prince George's County. It's all black. Uh, I mean, it's now kind of known as a predominantly uh, majority black, you know, county. A lot of um, people are somewhat well to do, but kind of also a lot of people who aren't, but, but, but a mostly black community nowadays. It's also produced a lot of well-known basketball players from Kevin Durant and Lynn Bias back in the old days. So, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff as well. So we'll talk a little bit about all the, all those things impact my own journey, my own life in different ways. Um, but yeah, I started off, uh, you know, um, back in the day, I grew up, I grew up in the seventies and eighties and where I grew up, uh, I guess one formative experience with race uh, to kind of get, you know, kind of get to this, the topic of, of, of at hand was uh, getting in, living in an all black neighborhood um, community. And at the time that there were some all white neighborhoods in our County and I got bused to one of those um, uh, schools for elementary school, it was a 30 minute bus ride. And a lot of the sort of like ideas of, of, of race and difference and all that stuff really kind of was fomented in my head as, as a, as a student in that environment, because, you know, I mean, growing up, I'm, my community's all black, you know, family's all black. Um, but it's, it's, it was, it was in those early grades when I began to know that there was this, this different, there was difference, right. And, and you, and people will look at you differently and you had, and had different expectations of what that meant based on how they saw you. And then all those things started to sort of kind of carry with me at different stages in my life. But that was sort of the first uh, point in which I began to see that from a very early stage. Nice, nice. Yeah, and and um, we we both Kevin and I both have your book, um, Black Man in a White Coat. Incredible read for for those listening. If you haven't get, gotten it, go get it. Uh, incredible read. It, it dives deep into your, your your journey in terms of this is my interpretation. Unpacking the race and healthcare uh, as a yeah. whole, and the the layers, uh, the dynamics mm-hmm. of it all. Yeah. But before we get get into that more. Um, so I know you're from the, the DMV area, Westmore. Any, yeah. Any, is that, does that, when, I, when I say that Westmore, what comes to mind for you in terms of how do you feel? Excited? Is it, you know? Yeah. You know, I don't, you know, and I don't know him personally. I know some people sure. who, who actually know him very well, actually. I know some, so, so kind of like that one degree of separation thing. Sure. Um, yeah. I've, I've read, you know, I read his, his, his book, you know, his book came out, his, his hit, other Westmore came out uh, four or five years before mine did. I referenced it in my book. There's, yeah. there's actually some, there's actually some passage where he talks about his, his dad and his dad's encounters with the healthcare system, mm-hmm. all of which informs some of the, the, the things that I talk about, in, you know, in my book. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan. I'm glad he's, 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 uh, you know, representing, uh, as we say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, I think the only third, correct me if I'm wrong here, the third black governor, is that correct? In history? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think a third elected black governor. There, there was, there was, um, yeah, Doug Wilder back in the day in Virginia. I mean, that was way back in the day. And I think there was one guy got elected in, a, oh yeah, Patrick in, in Massachusetts. Yeah. He's the third one. So after that, yeah, yeah. think yeah. about that long history of our, exactly. of our you know, I know 50 states, exactly. uh, you know, centuries, we got, yeah, the third one, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened and watched your YouTube video when you had your family in the audience and you were at a bookstore. Oh, yeah. And it was uh, fascinating. And and I, I was surprised, not surprised, but I was glad to hear that you mentioned Henrietta Lacks. Mm-hmm. Because when I read her book a couple years ago, I was just amazed at how her contribution to all the pharmaceuticals and the medical industry and she's from the dmv area i believe if the john hopkins area or something but from your 
from your perspective and Henrietta Lacks and the different things that occur? Because if there was one for Henrietta Lacks, I'm sure there's others where they're, they just hijacked their DNA or hijacked their organs. Is that getting better or is that changing? Meaning someone like a Henrietta Lacks, her family, are they getting compensation for that? Or is it still prevalent where they just take our, our science and... Well, so you laid you laid a lot out there, man. That's that's a question with about ten answers, man. I tell you, there's a, no, no, it's a lot. So let let me break it down in a couple of different ways. So so I, I'll say first of all, there's a sort of a semi personal connection with the Henry Lax story. So Henry Lax is from a part of Southern Virginia where my actual my family's from. Um, my grandmother grew up uh, in a town just about you know ten miles away from where Henry Lax is family in the same time in history. And so there's like a kind of connection in that sort of way. My grandmother actually moved to D.C., um, worked as a, you know, as a, as a maid or as a housekeeper. She, she raised uh, three kids as a, as a um, ultimately as a single mom. And what I learned from my grandmother was this. Is what, she was the first person where I learned about this sort of history of like maybe this race in medicine and doctors and black people kind of disconnect kind of thing. Uh, learned from my grandmother because uh, we go to church. She lived in D.C. We go to see her after church on Sundays. And she told me and one day her and my mom were arguing about my mom and my grandmother not following her doctor's recommendations for treating her blood pressure. And I remember my grandmother saying something about how this doctor was like wasn't listening to her and she didn't trust him and all this kind of stuff. And, that, you know, you hear a lot of these things now you know, about that. Right. Um, that was sort of my first kind of thing hearing that. Right. Um, now, when you mentioned the Henrietta Lack story, um, the thing about that is that that's, it's an, you know, it's an incredible story. Um, I've actually gone to, to Johns Hopkins, uh, and given, they have an annual conference there now where they sort of, uh, are trying to like, you know, it's, it's their way of trying to make restitution or amends, right. In some ways of, of everything that happened. So they, they go there, they talk about research developments. They talk about race. Um, they have some descendants of her family actually come there. And I, and I, I was a guest speaker there several years ago now. Um, but her story is really like, just like one kind of, uh, story in this much larger history. I mean, every place actually, I mean, that's the one that people kind of know now because there was a book and there's a movie and everything, but really every place that you think of has its own kind of story that, that sort of has similar same echoes, you know, for a long, long time in our history. Um, obviously black people were, were seen fully second class, um, seen as, you know, if you go back to the old days of how medical education worked, there's a whole story about the grave robbers, how the doctors would learn how to uh, do anatomy and, and dissections on, on dead bodies by robbing the graves of black people. I mean, there's a whole long history. So, we, so, so it goes back to the to our to our foundings, right? Um, and it's certainly for throughout the the, um, the first half and even more of the 20th century, when Henry Lack's story takes place in the 50s, this stuff was happening everywhere. Uh, you name the place. They got their story. The public may not know about it, but every place that you that you can think of that's been around long enough, um, you know, if you, you, you pull up under that rock, you're going to find some story like that. It's just it's, there's no doubt about it. Well, well two follow ups. One is I, I saw the BBC. These Europeans did a, a Henrietta Lacks documentary. And one of the comments was something to the effect that if they paid her family for the contribution she had to science and mm-hmm. her cells being her HeLa cells still being alive, her family, the Lax family, be the richest family in the history of life mm-hmm. because everyone's benefiting mm-hmm. today from her, her cells. But the follow-up question is, you mentioned hypertension and, and I remember when I, you spoke at the at the on the bookstore, how my grandparents and everyone else had hypertension or high blood pressure. 
And you mentioned that your wife is from the Caribbean. Do you find that hypertension is excessive in the black community only in the States or in Jamaica or Africa, other cultures, it's hypertension is really high and excessive as well? Or is that basically a U.S. phenomenon for black folks? Yeah, so talking about high blood pressure, hypertension. Yeah, so, you know, there's been some older studies that looked at that and, and how it seemed as if uh, black people in this country were much more afflicted by high blood pressure than, say, black people in West Africa or in, in the mm -hmm. Caribbean. Now, I think there's probably two important factors uh, to go with that. One is certainly um, being living in a place where you've been subjugated in sex and second class. And, you know, I didn't really understand all that, honestly, when I was coming, coming, coming up. Right. Um, the other part, of course, is the uh, being in a place where, you know, the, the American diet. Um, has been has not been good for a long time, and in some ways, it's been particularly bad for um, for, for us, for as Black folks, in terms of you know what's been available, you know what's accessible to us. Um, so it's been a whole. So it's, I would say it's both factors. There's the sort of the, the racism factor. There's also the sort of the the the, um, the dietary factor. Um, you know, man, for me, I didn't. You know, it's so interesting though, uh, as a, from a personal standpoint, because. Um, when I first started encountering my own sort of challenges with with high, high blood pressure, hypertension, and I did a lot of reading, a lot of research into it, um, I don't think I fully appreciated how much the mental side of it plays. The idea that you're always young, but particularly when I was coming up, you know, you're always coming and encountering any situations where you're trying to navigate, you know, uh, people looking at you like you're like you're incompetent, like you're danger, your threat, and always just or entering into a room and, and feeling as if uh, you have to sort of justify that you belong in this place place i think i think those things weigh on weigh, it weighed on me in a way in which i probably didn't fully appreciate as i was coming through because i realized now as i've gotten older um have a better sense of myself in that kind of way from the mental side uh you know a lot of those um blood pressure problems have pretty much gone away which is amazing to me because I, I think i think we i think we only we don't really fully begin to understand that the mind body kind of connection you know we, we're only really fully beginning to understand that um we don't really understand it yet, is what i'm trying to say and um, I think there's a huge part to, to play in how um, your place in society, or at least your perceived place in society, impacts your your physical well-being uh, in all sorts of ways. And so that's a lot of what I kind of learned along the way. So I guess to get back to your question, I think in other places where, you know, maybe the structure isn't quite as um, baked into our, to society, I think the people, yeah, definitely health things can definitely be different, right? For sure. Yeah. Sure. You know, it's interesting as you shared your, your story there. Um, a number of things run through my mind. One is, is um, I have a 14 year old and he's getting tall. Um, you're, you're about, mm -hmm. you're about two inches, about an inch taller than I am. You're six, six. I think you said and one yeah. of your, uh, yeah. yeah. So we're, we're around the same height in my, and th think about this, what I'm about to say, how, how, it, how, what it says, the message behind it. My wife said, I hope he doesn't grow to be too tall. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. Imagine yeah. that. Saying, I hope that your son doesn't grow to be too tall. And you and I both understand, you know, why, her, what her concerns are. Yeah. And it, essentially, it's just, you know, you know, having to walk into a room and as soon as you walk in, you turn heads. And not necessarily for the right reasons. You know, the assumptions that are made. You know, you mentioned, well, let, let, so let's dive into that. In yeah. your book, you talk about when you first got to, or early, I, I believe it was your first year at Duke. You're in class, and there was a there was a break, and so you're dressing your khakis, you're buttoned up, and uh, you know you're just kind of mingling like all of the other students were at Duke. Um, and talk, 
tell our listeners, you know, the, the encounter you had with, um, I'll, I won't say his name. I'll, I'll leave his name out. But tell, tell us about the encounter you had with the professor of that class during the break. Yeah, so I think that, you know, the important, yeah, I will do it, I'll dive into that. I think the important setup also, that's a good setup. The other important important point to think about is, you know, I'm a, I'm a black student in this place that's, you know, a bunch of people, a uh, very wealthy institution. I've already learned, like a week before we had this orientation, you know, it feels like everybody's parents there are, you know, on faculty at the school, they're professors, they're business people, they're, you know, surgeons, they're all these people making all this money and all this influence. And um, they've all gone to these fancy colleges. And so I have none of these things, right? And so I'm, and this is the important time when people are talking about, well, you know, we always go through these cycles. Well, should affirmative action exist? And are black people taking spots from people that are more deserving? So all this stuff is in my sort of, in the back of my mind, I'm walking into this classroom um, that day uh, and the professor comes up to me and, and, you know, he's like, you know, kind of points his finger, finger at me. Are you here to fix the lights, man? Um, and so I look, I kind of step back, you know, classroom and a bunch of students there. Um, you know, I'm not the one who always wants to kind of jump to this idea that I'm, you know, make it about race, as they say. But it's like I'm looking around, man, and I'm like, you know, geez, you know, why did he come at me like this? Um and there was a point in which I actually was thinking to myself, man, did I do something wrong to, to, that, you know, in my own way, which is kind of that kind of weird thing what people do sometimes. Um, and uh, not that there's anything wrong with the fixing the lights, obviously, but it was this idea that he came at me like that. And then and then he's like, well, I was like, no. Well, he's like, um, well, what are you here for? You know, I called about this last week and no one's coming. And why are you here? And so it was like in his mind, I couldn't have been a student, you know, in his class, right? It was just, it was that, it was that idea. And I was already kind of in his back of mind, did I belong here, right? And he's coming up to me like, well, you really don't, um, you know? And so what do you do with that? Because again, I'm a really big, tall guy. This professor is like five, eight, nine. If I, if I show anger, how's that going to work out? You know, there might be a problem, right? You can just, I could just already envision he thinks I threatened him, blah, 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 blah. And then the next thing you know, I'm, I'm home, I'm, you know, back home out of the school. So I can just think about all the worst case scenarios. Um, because again, what do people see when they see you, right? You know, a lot of right. times they see, they see danger, they see threat, they see intimidation, all this kind of stuff. That's what society's kind of brainwashed people to sort of, you know, to see. Right. And, sure. um, and so all those things were kind of going through my mind. And then I'm thinking, well, after this is happening, I'm trying to process this. Um, if I tried to like, who am I going to tell this to? Because, you know, are they going to then say, oh, well, no, it's not that big a deal. I've had this happen to me or, or whatever. You know, if I, talk, if I talk to like some kind of faculty, other person on the faculty, what are they going to make of it? Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I did talk to some students and classmates of mine, some other black students, the few that were there. And, you know, they, they we kind of use humor to try and make the most of it. But 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 after that sort of initial shock, I had to sort of think, man, you know, is this, is this how it's always going to be? And am I really cut out for this? Um, and so, you know, for me, what I ended up doing at that point was really, um, just buckling down, studying, being determined, uh, maybe in a way that I didn't know I had within me. And I ended up being one of the, you know, the best students in that class. And, and, what, and when the way that worked out was that at the end of that, end of that, um, semester in this particular, these courses back then, you, at the end of the, uh, semester, if you want to call it, you would have to have this exit meeting with the faculty member, professor. And, and in that, in that, in that um, exit meeting, he saw that I had like the, you know, I think the second, second highest grade in, in, the, in that particular uh, final exam out of the whole class. And he had this look of like, you know, just disbelief. Like, you know, I, I, I wish I knew what exactly he was thinking, you know, but I think he was thinking probably a whole bunch of things. Right. Um, and uh, it was it was a sense of like, you know, he couldn't believe it. 
um, just total disbelief. And um, it just made me think about, you know, how this idea that, and so in some ways you feel gratification. You know, I feel like, man, I, I showed him, I did this, you know, take that kind of thing. But, but another side of you is like, man, is this how it's always going to be? Um, you know, this idea of being different, you know, because part of what attracted me to, to doctoring in medicine was somehow in my mind thinking that it was very good, was, wasn't going to be like that. It was going to be kind of more objective and, you know, the numbers, the facts, you know, if you know the stuff, people are going to, you know, treat you with respect and all that. But this is like, man, is this, is this how it's always going to be? And so that was something that was kind of, you know, there I was grappling with at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And that story, it resonates on so many levels because, you know, I think any black man, um, no matter your industry, you know, what you do for a living, you've experienced something to that, to, to that effect where the assumption is that you aren't at the level you're at. Um, and as you, as you suggested, there's nothing wrong with being a, a, a maintenance worker. There's nothing wrong with being a, a laborer. Um, but my, my, what I know is that even a laborer, a black laborer will be, you know, assumed to be something less than always, um, always. And so, you know, your approach, what stands out to me in, the, in that story is that that's something I, I, I tell my son, when things don't go your way, you have two options. You can pout and be miserable, or you can figure out how you can overcome it. How can you, uh, um, uh, overcome the obstacle? You know, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. It's, it's, it's what contributes to what you mentioned earlier. You know, those, those problems with, um, your, your health. You know, mm -hmm. it directly impacts your health. And you touched on that in your book, too, where early on you, you discovered that you had some problems with high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And later on in your in your um, journey towards becoming a doctor, you got that under control. Um, so let's talk about some other things you discovered in healthcare itself as you pursued mm -hmm. uh, your journey to becoming a physician. One thing that comes to, if you could talk about this story and some of the things you, you, you came up with. There was one incident where there was a patient that came to the, I believe it was the ER, uh, black patient, who was having a, some apparent um, psychotic, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know the medical language, so just forgive sure. me if I, as I throw these words in here, some psychotic break, right? And the initial reaction by the team was to um, strap him down and sedate him. Mm -hmm. And... Talk about what, what ended up happening and what you, something else that may have, you perhaps discovered as you process, as you went through that experience. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I don't get a chance. I don't talk about that. Get a chance to talk about that story much. I um, appreciate you asked it. Um, so it's one of these, this is this point now, I'm, this is years after medical training, after medical school, I'm in, I'm in my specialty in psychiatry. I'm in emergency room setting. Um, you might imagine, think about uh, psychiatry, right? And you think about general societal fears of black men as dangers and threats and that sort of thing. And think about how much more that might be amplified in a field like psychiatry, where, you know, um, you're dealing with people who are struggling in all sorts of emotional ways. And there's a lot of stuff that's kind of, we're knowing about how black people are much more likely to be, you know, dealt with forcibly in those kinds of settings, just like in, in the rest of society, right? You know, um, and so forcibly um, dealt with, whether in terms of, you know, being restrained by, by law enforcement, um, you know, injected with medications, things of that sort. And so in this case, the thing about um, mental health problems, I think, is that we think of them as like, um, in some ways, it's just like a continuum. It's like, a, it's like a, it's not as if they just sort of are totally coming out of nowhere. So in this particular case, this is a guy who um, is, uh, 
he was in a neighborhood and there was this whole issues of like, we talk about gentrification and this idea of like, you know, of the people, black people being forced out of a neighborhood because the neighborhood gets too expensive, et cetera. You know, but this story kind of plays out all, all over the country. And so in his particular case, he does have some, some baseline mental health problems. And so his reaction to that gets, is extreme, right? But, but it's not, it's not found, it's not like it's based on something that's totally unfounded. It's based on something that's real, but then his reaction is, is certainly extreme. Um, and so he certainly, um, had to find a way to kind of get a handle on that. So he gets brought into the emergency room. First of all, people get brought into the emergency room oftentimes by, by police and law enforcement. And we know how complicated that can be just in and of itself. So that's, so it starts off with that. He's brought in there. And then, you know, once he's there, you know, there's a certain model in, in medical world where we just got to get these people under control and we're going to give them, we're going to give them these, uh, you know, these drugs and these medicines. And again, Sometimes that's needed, but it's, it's like what, what, what? But sometimes you have to at least try and talk to the person to see where they're coming from before you have to sort of go to that level if you can. And so in this particular case, you know, um, I, just, I went in there. Um, I started to talk to him. First of all, he was surprised to see a, a black person talking to him. He had never seen a black doctor. Uh, he'd, he'd interact with psychiatrists before, of course, and he had never seen uh, one who's black. And so that already kind of just was like, oh, what is this going on here, man? You know, and then he got really, he got kind of like, he kind of went on a little tangent and he was excited about it. He started talking about, you know, this sort of this and that. Um, but we kind of got to the meat of what was going on with him. And he was, you know, I could sense that a lot of his struggles were a sense of like losing control, which is something we all struggle with, right? He was losing control of his surroundings, his situation. And of course, his reaction was exaggerated, as I, as I, as I you know, as I say. And that's certainly, certainly true with people with, some people have suffered mental health problems like this guy did. Um, so again, he's psychotic on this one level, but it's also, it's not like it wasn't based on something that was real to begin with. And so we sort of kind of got to what some of that real stuff was. And again, a lot of it was about his sense of loss of control of his situation. And as we talk more, he began to acknowledge that his reaction was extreme and that he probably did need to get treatment. But he was, but instead of being strapped down and, and having needles, you know, checked into, he was agreeable to take it orally to, to take the medicine because he said, you know, I, I do need something. This is, you know, thanks for kind of talking to me. So I think it was just that ability to sort of sit down with him as a human to human and talk with him. It was able to kind of calm him down and get him the help that he actually needed because, you know, yeah, you could have given him the medicine in the by needle and, but th there's a certain, think about it, right? Would any of us ever want that if, 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 was, if there was an alternative to that? And so that's sort of how I try to just sort of, you know, diffuse the situation uh, and make something better. Uh, for for him and really for everyone everyone around because I mean only a sadistic person would sit there and really want to enjoy seeing somebody treated in that way right so um, all, I think it's better for everybody uh, in that kind of situation so I thought that was just one example of how I could use my understanding as a black person um, to understand the issues that he was dealing with um, and to be able to connect with him in that sort of way to to make a better outcome makes sense and if I recall correctly this this may or may not have been the same case he was his chart was there was a, there was an indication added to his chart that oh that's a different case no that's, that's a different, different case, case. yeah okay. I, yeah we can talk about that one too that's a that's let's a do different it case. let's do it let's do it it's, it's, it's a different case but it's a you know it's a problem kind of built on some of the same themes of course right yeah. um so that 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 encounter happened a couple years earlier and that's when i was working on the sort of the general medical side of things right so these are com okay. people coming in with like you know uh, you know, chest pain and, and pneumonia and coming in with general medical problems like that. And so in this particular case, this guy had come in, he was a black guy, 50-ish or so, and he had come in with chest pain. And so, of course, you come in a hospital with chest pain, it's like, okay, we want to make sure you don't have a heart attack. I mean, it's always the first thing. And anything else that's life-threatening. Uh, and once you kind of get past that stage, it's like, okay, let's figure out um, maybe you still, even though you didn't have a heart attack, maybe you still have heart disease that we might need to be able to address. 
um, and, and, and investigate. And also, like, we need to lower your blood pressure. We need to you know, get you on some medicine for cholesterol, all that kind of stuff, right? So that kind of general medical stuff. They call that, like, prevent, secondary prevention. Um, and so in, in this particular case, this guy, um, so he comes in, so the team comes in, they talk to him about his condition, and, and there's a sort of this top-down kind of approach to, like, you know, we know everything. And he's like, okay, um, and they're talking about his blood pressure, and, and then uh, and how – how best address it. And he's like, well, you know, I, I was in this study and I know about this particular diet and I want to try this diet. And, um, and I think, and he actually, he was pretty sophisticated actually, but we were in a setting where I don't think doctors expected a patient to be that sophisticated in their knowledge. Now there's something, this is the hierarchy of medicine and of life. There's some settings where the doctors would expect a patient to sort of be that way, right? Some fancy suburban area where people are all, you know, lawyers and, and that kind of stuff. But here's like a public hospital in the city, People aren't expecting that necessarily, right? And then they have these own kind of stereotypes about people that they, they encounter. In this particular case, um, after we left the room, the patient, the, the doctors were taken aback by this guy. Like, like, who's this guy? Like, like, hmm, he sort of has a lot to say about all this, right? And then they started talking in, in, amongst themselves about him after we left the room. I'm on the periphery because I wasn't directly involved with this care. I was on the periphery of this conversation. And then they start throwing out ideas about, well, what do you think is going on with this guy? Um, again, he came in the hospital with chest pain, right? So I'm thinking medical stuff, you know, chest pain, like what are the causes? Maybe there's something wrong with his reflux or, you know, or something going on, like, you know, a medical thing, right? And then they start throwing around these psychological terms. These are, these are not psychiatrists. These are, these are not psychiatrists, by the way. These are, these are doctors who are not psychologists, not psychiatrists. These are doctors who specialize in general medical stuff, but they start spouting out all this psychological diagnoses. Oh, does he have this kind of problems? He's obsessive compulsive. Uh, and they start like kind of laughing about it. And I was just taken aback. I was like, man, you know, in it, um, you know, but I said, but the issue is um, I was the lowest person on the hierarchy of this meeting. I was the lowest doctor. I was a brand new doctor, lowest one on there. And what do I do, right, as I'm seeing this happen? And, you know, I don't know. That's a great question. We can talk about what you guys think I should have done. But so my standpoint was I'm the lowest person. If I start coming at these guys, you know, I'm, I'm, I start coming at these guys the wrong way, they're going to say, you know, you're, the, you're just the intern, you know. Who are you thinking you are? I've been in practice 20 years. Are you going to come at me like this? And so it's always that challenge of like, what do you do when you're in that situation, right? So, so, so right. from that standpoint, now maybe I would have done some different in retrospect, but that was so. But in the end, I kind of didn't do what I feel like I kind of should have done, right? And so this guy kind of gets labeled as this sort of like this problem patient who's going to be difficult because he's got some kind of personality that's not going to listen to doctors, right? And the problem with that label is that. When he comes back for another medical visit or another doctor sometime later, they're going to see that this in his record. And then, and then that's going to probably influence how the next doctor interacts with him. And so that's the danger of kind of what happened in that situation. So I wanted to just kind of tell this story to alert people that this thing happens, right? This, this is the real thing. Um, but I also wanted to have people think about like, you know, how do we as other doctors kind of step up? Maybe I did, and obviously in this case I didn't, but maybe I wanted to tell them why and people understand what that was like as well. So like at the same time, if, so the patient got the worst end of it, right? But at the same yeah. time, I was also struggling myself to figure out where my place was within that hierarchy. And so it was kind of telling these two stories. Well, you know what? I I, I loved your story. And, and when you mentioned that, I kind of vision in my head when you said, well, what did I, what should I have done? And you were the intern. I immediately thought of keep your eyes on the prize because Imagine if you would have challenged those guys who were a little higher than you. I mean, it altered all your experience sure. and ability. So I say by keeping your eyes on the prize and getting to where you are now, now you could be a beacon of light 
to make sure the next one's coming in because now you're in a position where you can voice your concern right. Right. and you've already achieved. So now your your concerns are respected. So I think in because we like Andre, we're about a couple years older than you, but we've all experienced that where it's like. Now in our fifties, when you you get your kids as little grown, you can be more vocal. But when you're younger, you got other commitments. It's like, do I bring on the, the charge of Jesse Jackson and save the world, or right. let me get myself there and now? Others can see where yeah. you are, yeah. and now they can come through and make it better for the next one. I always say a lot of the founding African Americans or Black representatives that we all look up to, they had to be Charles Atlas. They had to carry carry yes, the sir. load yes. so they could shine the light back so we could all follow. So that's yeah. a that's a that's a noble story. But the question I have for you is being where you are now and looking at it from the awareness, and I'm so glad you mentioned this guy who was aware of medical concerns, the the patient. Are you finding that we are moving in the right direction culturally? <laughs> and if we are, is that patient-led because the patients are more informed? Or is it representatives like you, doctors, who are leading us to culturally stand up and know more about our our medicine and our mental health and everything? Moving in the right direction, for sure. I got to tell you, you think about how many, think how long it's taken us to get where we are, right? And so it's it's not going to be something that's going to be an easy fight. Um, because it's taken, it's been such a, a long history that's led us here, but we are moving in the right direction, but it's just a lot slower than of course, most of us would, would like it to be. And, and the thing with progress is of course, progress is never smooth. There's always, there's always, you know, hiccups. There's always people, there's always backlash. There's always people who don't want change. Anytime there's change, there's always people who are going to resist that. So you have to sort of fight all those different forces. So it's, you got to be in it for the long haul. Um, so, uh, as far as who's leading that change, uh, I'd say to some degree, it's, um, some, yeah, some, yeah, certainly patients, communities, activists, uh, no doubt. Um, I would say within the medical world, uh, the people leading the charge are actually the younger folks. So the younger medical students, younger people in the healthcare field, younger trainees, much more, uh, outspoken, much more, uh, knowledgeable about these issues, even coming into the world, into, into the fold. Um, I think, and that's not just, I mean, that's black, white, otherwise Asian. I mean, so just, and so I think that sort of, um, that's really important. Um, because if I felt like in my time, it felt like it was kind of only left up to us black people to try and do this. And if, if that's the case, it's not really going to work because it's not enough of us around to make that, make that, uh, the change that needs to happen. So I feel like there's a much better kind of cross racial alliance in, in our world as far as trying to make this better. Uh, and so, so now I'll give you one example. So like, you know, when I was in medical school, um, we had one afternoon um, in the four years where there was some kind of delegated time to talk about race. One afternoon in four years. So whatever you could put, you couldn't get into that one afternoon. Just, it wasn't any place to talk about it at all. And if you were sick that day, then you were just out of luck. Uh, there was no space to talk about it. So, you know, nowadays, I mean, these conversations come up all the time. There's, there's like baked into the curriculum. There's like courses that where they talk about these issues. Um, there's just more opportunities. They, they, have, they have like seminars, lectures. There was no space to even talk about it. So you, in, until you can, I know some people say, well, talk is just talk, but until you even begin to lay out what the problems are, you can't begin to think about how to change them. And so I would say that that was where we were, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Um, even, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I, one thing I went to circle you, on the YouTube channel, you mentioned that and I was surprised to find this. You said that in the medical school, when you're a student, it's usually three 
African-American women or black women to one male. Uh, This was in 2015. Do you find that those numbers are changing or is it, why is it so many women pursuing medical careers versus the men? I was thinking usually it's the inverse, but it it said, uh, is that a phenomenon of, um, we just don't see more men doctors. So black young black men don't think they can do it or, Women see other women doctors and they're like, you know, or they had bad gynecologist experience and say, I'm going to be a doctor so I can change this. There's some of that, what you just said. That is definitely true. But what I'll say is, so there's two things that are happening. So in the last maybe 10 years or so, there's been more and more women in medicine in general. So nowadays, actually, women across the board slightly outnumber men in medicine, which is a huge change. Um, but, I was, but, 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 but it's been more stark among black people, that, that disparity between gender. Um, black women versus black men. Um, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about it. I mean, because I mean, you know, you guys, you guys, been on the world, and I'm sure you have your own take on this. But I feel like, um, uh, so, so I'll just say the numbers are clear. So you go to med school. Um, I think it's like two to one. You know, mm-hmm. so so the, there was a report that came out about six, seven years ago. It showed that the number of black men in med school had basically not gone up in over a period of like thirty some years. During that same time, the number of black women in med school had basically like doubled or something, something amazing, you know, doubled or even tripled. And so now you go to med schools, you see three, you know, three, in two or three women to every black man. It's really common. I've been to a couple of schools where it was like six black women, one one brother in there. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of things. There was a report that was that was that was um, put out by this. It's called the Association of American Medical College, and they produced this full report of looking at that particular issue. Why so few black men in medicine? I think there's a lot of things that are going on. I think a lot of it is. Um, you know, uh, societal. I think, I think a lot of it is narratives. I think, I think people, I think that the options of what people think black men can be somehow sometimes limits what black men can then see, see themselves. I think there's a lot of forces at work, um, that is multi, it's multi-factor. Cause you even see within families, you see this sort of contrast between the, the, the daughter and the son. Um, I think there's a, you know, and, and, I mean, and what can that be about, right? You can't say that's about like, you know, parents or, or whatever. And so they got the same parents, right? And, and, and then you, even then you see those sort of contrast. I think, I think there's an immense forces out there. Uh, not that black women don't face their own tremendous challenges. Of course they do. Um, but I feel like there's, I feel like there's some, um, unique aspects of, of black males and, and, uh, and labeling and fear and threat and, and also, and also a, a sense of stereotype around if you are successful, it has to be through sports or, or rapping and none of those things, those things are fine. I got no issues in that, but I feel like there's certain ways in which black male success has been, is narrowed, right. And, and, and constrained. And I think that limits um, some sense of what black men even can see of themselves. I mean, if you'd ask me as a, as a 15, mission to go back to being 14 year old, you know, could I have been a doctor? I mean, hell no, I didn't know anything. You know, it, 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 I think, I think there's so much, built into uh that that affects people's um trajectories as well so i think it's complicated but i'm mean, sure, what do you what do you guys think man I'm, my, I'm my, my here, man. thoughts are and, and I'll, I'll turn over to andre but my thoughts are i remember vividly i was 10 or 11 my uncles were arguing with my grandfather because he wouldn't go to the doctors and he wouldn't go to the hospital get checked up wouldn't do any of that so then when my auntie started arguing with my grandfather he finally went and i was just remembering they talked about Tuskegee, and I didn't. I wouldn't. I was young. I was too young to know what happened. But as mm-hmm. I older, I think it's a trust factor because mm. I've been in corporate America since '88, and I had good medical plans. But until I got with my my wife, I would never go to the doctors. I would take mm. no. I, I was like, mm. I just got this internal distrust. Now she's there beating on me. Now I go mm. every every little thing I'm qualified for, <laughs> and I had I had medical issues, but they're all yeah. corrected. She's like. 
she if she wasn't there to push me into going to the doctors, I'm just like in my deep rooted sense, it's like I ain't going in there, they ain't practicing on me. And I think it stems from my grandfather battling my family, mm-hmm. my aunties, and they, they finally got him in there, but they have that culture of no one trusts the medical profession. And yeah. I think it's it ingrained in me for my class mm-hmm. or something. Dre, what do you think? You know, I'll, I'll just say, you know, I'll just say real quickly. My 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 mom was the same way. My dad, if it weren't for my mom, my dad would never have gotten into medical care either. It's just very similar. So you might be onto something there. Maybe maybe there's maybe maybe that didn't translate into what people want to. If you don't trust the field, you sure as hell don't want to work in the field, right? So maybe there's something yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and actually, I have, I have a question for you about that. But my thoughts, you know, just kind of pretty much, you know, um, what Smiley said. I mean, I I, I, don't, I don't know that black men see the healthcare industry being a safe place for them mm-hmm. to go and excel. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, especially nowadays, it's more about ownership, independence, and that type mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to go work for or pursue an industry where you're working for someone, um, like Smiley said, you know, that isn't, and you, you, you do a great job illustrating this in the book. The healthcare industry pursuing a, a career there isn't going to be necessarily um, easy. Is probably not the best word, but it's one that comes to mind. It won't be easy or considered safe, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I think about the, the things I've read about burnout and mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing, suicides, things like that. Um, it's tough to wake up every day and just live your life normally as a black mm-hmm. man, right? Mm-hmm. Just to walk mm-hmm. out of the door and live your life, right? Every day, you know, you got to make sure that, you know, at least these are, these are some of the things that, you know, me and some people, some, some my buddies think about, you know, you know, how am I, how am I presenting, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, of course. Walk into any, walk into any, any building and you think about, okay, uh, quick, quick, quick story that I'm circle back to you. Yeah. I was a kid, walked into a store. My dad used to always tell us, unzip your jackets. Right, as a kid, and I'm like, I, I, I didn't know what it meant, but I always unzipped my jacket. Right, yeah. as I got older, I, I discovered the reason he did that was so that they could see we're not you know, hiding anything, not stealing. But, um, so yeah, that, that, that that's those are some, some thoughts come to mind. So, let me ask you this, Dr. Yeah. Tweedy, yeah, Smiley's touched on this, you know, that there isn't a sense of um trust in the community in terms of care. For, mm-hmm. especially black man. Mm-hmm. I have a buddy of mine who's, who's going to listen to this. I'm not going to mention his name, but um, he's around our age. You know, I'm, you know, I'm always getting on him about, you know, get, 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 go get your colonoscopy. Don't get checked. I'll text him and say, hey, man, I heard they're offering two for one, you know, today. <laughs> go, down, <laughs> go down there and get, get, they get half price deals today. Go check it out. And, you know, um, I'm sure there's a number of different reasons why he he's he's not going. But I'm always going to, you know, try to try to push them. What can we do, right, to help create that shift and the way we think about care uh, for those that we care for? Is there any suggestions there? Yeah, I think the system, you know, there's issue about when you say trust, right? This idea of like sometimes people blame the trust, you know, sort of blame the the black folks for like, why you don't trust, but it's also like you know. This is this terminology used now. You have to be trustworthy, right? So how do you how do you have to establish your own trustworthiness as an institution, um, or as a, as a you know provider or whatever, what have you? Um, some things that I've seen be helpful. 
um, is where you have like uh, they call it, they call them different things in different settings, navigators, um, uh, peer support people. So these are black folks who've been in this in this um, who've had health issues, physical health issues, mental health issues, who've received care, uh, gotten through something that was bad on a, on a better end of it now, and they're out there, they're engaging with the community themselves, and they're working in a capacity like healthcare systems are employing people like this to get into the communities and actually be bridges and to bring people into the into the fold. I've seen that work, and and, and, uh, and that's something we see here a lot about. There's been other settings where um, healthcare providers have established alliances with community, like churches, right, and having real good alliances. Because historically, like when you, think, you take psychiatry, historically psychiatry and like the church have kind of been at odds. Um, because, you know, people are trying because both um, fields can say, say that we have a sense of trying to describe and help people who are in distress in different ways, right, through different ways. And so and so you could imagine that we would see people in our field who might need some spiritual guidance, right? You know, might need a chaplain, might need to get with their pastor and talk about what issues they're facing. You could also imagine that someone might present to their pastor or, or, or someone who has issues that maybe they need to come talk with us. And so the more that we can sort of break down those like labels and those barriers, the more we can sort of build community trust. So I think those are a couple examples of things that um, I've seen. I know there was an interesting kind of barbershop study that they did years back where they were looking at trying to address high blood pressure in black men. And they were going and started setting up sort of medical, um, some sort of liaison person in like these local barbershops, right? You know, so I'm, you know, I don't need a barber anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> but, you know, I, exactly. But, you know, but, but, you know, but for, for a lot of it, that's, that's still an important, uh, you know, area. So I think, so I think kind of getting out of the box, right? And, and not just expecting people to sort of come, like you said, you know, do you expect people who've been sort of been, been habitually harmed? It's just, just automatically this trust coming into this, into this, you know, this, this fortress of a hospital or a clinic, or do we have to find ways to meet people more where they are and find ways to break down some of those barriers? I think those are the kind of things that have to happen. Now they have to happen on a bigger scale. They have to happen. You need, it takes, it takes investment of money. It takes investment of people and resources, but these are sort of the seeds are there to make progress. It's just, do we have the will um, to make that work? Makes over sense. the long term. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and then I have like a, a hundred more questions for you, but we're, we're running short <laughs> on time. So um, something else I wanted to, to, to talk about. So your book, again, mm-hmm. for those listening, um, Black Man in a White Coat, great book. If you haven't gotten it, go get it. Incredible read. It, it's, it's, it's something that's, um, what I enjoy are books that, that tell a story and you mm-hmm. can glean a lot from, right? Mm-hmm. This is a, a, a story that has layers, it's dynamic, it's, it's uh, authentic, et cetera. I'm curious, tw- 2020, 2021, mm-hmm. because of all that transpired, sure. you know, out, COVID and, and, and otherwise, did you see a spike in sales by any chance? I did. Um, I you would. Yeah, not only that, but more also a spike in um, people wanting me to come talk about you know, my sure. own experience, my history. Um, it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing to think about because, so when I first started writing this book, and even before I started writing the book, I just started writing about this topic, like I, you know, like in, in essays and stuff. I tried to submit things to like medical journals and, and, and publications. This is like 2005, 2006, something like that, 2007. They were categorically rejecting this stuff. So, and, and not because of the, I mean, it's not just a quality writing thing. I had an editor tell me one time, a medical journal editor, he said, man, we don't, we don't publish stuff. Um, we only publish stuff that is of interest to people who are important in, 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 in the healthcare field. So he was just, so you think about that, right? This is like, yeah. so you wonder why we are where we are. This is 15 yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a leader in the field just categorically says, we don't care about this, right? Right. This, so you should, this, this, this issue does not matter. 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. just, up, just up front. And I'm like, right. damn. And so you just think about that's not that long ago, right? 15. We, we, always, talk to, we always want to talk about this stuff happened a long time ago. 15 years ago is not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And so, so to give you a sense of, um, and when I first tried to get the book published, yeah, the book ended up being very successful, but at the very beginning, um, editors were projecting it left and right. This one woman uh, told me, you should only write a book about um, like race and crime. I'm like, I'm working in medicine. Why? Why would I be writing about that? You know, so it's like it's, it's, it's this boxing of, 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 of limiting what they can imagine uh, you to be. And so I, I encountered all that. And so it was kind of shocking, kind of when the book actually, you know, sort of reached this larger audience. And then I, I, I wasn't prepared for that. Honestly, I struggled because I just wasn't because I faced so much like you know rejection. I never thought it would even kind of come to light. So it was, it was hard for me in the beginning. And then in 2020, 2021, it was like wow, you know, people are starting to kind of get to stuff and, and, and so it's an interesting kind of feeling because like i've been sitting with this for so long and now people are just sort of kind of like trying to discover it or discovery and so it's like how do you so party is like man what what took why did it take this long but another yeah. party is like okay okay I'm, I'm glad we have this opportunity now to sort of share this and let's let's run with it yeah bittersweet yeah yes so, so exactly that, bittersweet. yes yeah bittersweet so with that i know you played ball back in the day i'm about to hit you with the alley-oop so okay. <laughs> with you being such a great great writer you know, it's a shame there isn't another book out by you that we could uh, pick up. Any, any any response to that? There will be one next year. Next year, tell me about yes. it. If you can, if you can, tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, the, sh- the short version is um, it's going to have a same kind of format. You know, similar kind of the, the stories and personal stories, narratives. Um, it'll be more about psychiatry and mental health and how we separate the mind and the body and how that just called because you know, people. So people who have physical problems. Um, have emotional challenges often from the suffering. And then people with emotional problems have physical bodies that need to be cared for. But we have this sort of separation of how we've been doing things in medicine. Um, of course, it's, it, just like anything else, often it's worse among these things tend to be worse with the black community. So there'll be some stories about some black people who really kind of had some really tough stories. But, but I'm sort of using that just, just to describe uh, my journey and how I became a psychiatrist as a black person. You know, that's also its own kind of interesting thing. And then sort of sort of trying to move it forward as to how we can do better by all of us. So by, by healthcare, by, you know, integrating mental health and, and general medicine, and also just by making our society kind of more just in that way. So that's kind of this. So we have a very similar format, you know, the same kind of storytelling. So hopefully you'll like this too. I mean, I think it'll be something for, for everybody in this one as well. Excellent. Looking forward, looking forward to, uh, to it coming out. I'll keep an eye out for it. Uh, I'm guessing it'll be available on yeah. Amazon. The usual else. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe I can come back and talk some more. I really enjoy talking to you guys. So maybe we can come for back sure. and yeah, yeah. There'll be more we can talk about, man, for sure. Well, yeah. Before, before we move into the uh, final four, Dr. Tweedy, is there anything that you wanted to share or say or something we didn't ask you that we should have asked you before we move into the final four? Um, no, I mean, I think I think we we covered a lot. Like, like you were saying, like, I'm thought about the smorgasbord thing. You could talk forever, but you could talk for hours about some of the stuff that I, we only kind of scratched the surface, as you said. Yeah. Um, you did mention about your son. It kind of stuck with me. This idea because I've said the same thing about my, my I have a 14 year old son, and man, I hope he doesn't get too big. It's an interesting thing to think about because as you transition from that being a kid to being an adolescent, it's like a different view of how people see you and the world sees you. Mm. And so yeah. it just it just stuck with me. I just wanted to say that. I know it doesn't focus on ma- medicine, but it's just something that resonated with me as well. Yeah, it's the real world. It's part of the real world. You know what you what you do and what, what you wrote in your book is the real world. You know our, our kids are part of that real world. So yeah. The, the thing is, when when Andre talked about his dad telling him to take down his zipper, it, it took me to a place where I was raised with a single mom and a grandmom and all that stuff, and 
I remember I was driving home from Dartmouth, my first time I had my little car going back to Pittsburgh, and the police pulled me over. And I've never been, we always rode the buses. So mm. as soon as he pulled me over, I got out the car. I was like, what do you want? And I didn't know, no one told me you're not supposed to get out the car when you get pulled over. And I'm like, innocent dude from Dartmouth doesn't know anything about anything. And, yeah. and I was like, man, that was awesome that your father was there to tell you Keep yeah, down so they can see inside. It's just crazy. So, so, so what Smiley is saying, Doctor Tweedy, is that there could have been no Dre and Smiley podcast. Exactly. <laughs> had that gone differently? That, yeah, that that could definitely have gone sideways. Yeah, yeah. It could have gone sideways. Yeah. I think that surprised him because he's like, "Is he getting out the car?" And I'm not. I'm not. I'm only like five ten and a half. But when I'm on the court, I'm about six three. When I'm done. <laughs> dinner table three other seats who would you want those representatives to be and why alive or dead anybody at your dinner table gosh man you know i've heard people ask that question i've never been asked that question um any three people wow man um well you got to have somebody from the you know from that that uh that's big civil rights era that sort of led everything to where we are, whether that's, you know, Dr. King or Thurgood Marshall, or you, you pick your, you take your, you take your pick. There's a guy named in the medical world, it's a guy named Charles Drew, who's a real hero mm-hmm. in the medical world. You take your pick, someone, someone from that era, maybe a couple from that era. Um, I'd love to have somebody like from the, you know, gosh, you know, think about like the, think about the, the, um, the people who were in the, the forerunners of the, of the slave trade in the 15th, 16th century, and you just love to sit there and talk with them like, like, do you know what you're about to set up for the history of the world and how your actions are, are going to be reverberate for centuries? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and just like if you could have a sense of, you know, would they have could they have had any idea of what they were setting in motion? Right. I would love to just mm-hmm. be able to just, you know, sit there and have someone like that. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I guess somebody from the uh, from that, like, you know, time of the Civil War, you know, you think about history, right? You know, whether it's Lincoln or whether it's someone on the other side, Rob Lee or something, you know, some, again, just thinking about, do you realize, you know, do you, do you understand the, the, the moment and the, and, the, and the implications of what, of what we're having and how it shakes, shakes forward? So I think, you know, just those pivotal moments in history, right, from my standpoint as a black man, the, the, the initiation of the kind of the slave trade, you know, you think about the Civil War era and I think about the sort of civil rights era, you know, and a representative from each each one of those eras to sort of speak to that, um, to the moments and getting them all in the room, right? So, so like, yeah. The person from the from the 15th century, or whatever, could see what's what, what's become yeah. in the 20th century would be some kind of uh, some kind of scene. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, yeah, great. Next question: um, Professionally or personally, what's been your greatest success? Oh gosh, I mean, can't personally, obviously, you know, just just been able to been married you know, almost 20 years, got two kids, two teenage black boys, you know. And just just navigating that right, and, and trying to carve out a, uh, and, just, and just thinking about where you know each of our families sort of started in this country, you know, and it starts my family started from hers in Jamaica, um, and just thinking about you know the trajectory that we've had, you know, the journey, and thinking about you know, there's times where I sit and think, man, my my, my grandfather, you know, could never have imagined you know where we where where we've been able to to, to, to travel, um, and hopefully, you know, all of their work, my grandmother, you know wasn't in vain and they, they could just sort of see some of the fruits of kind of the struggles that they faced. So I would yeah. say that's probably, that's, that's the greatest, you know, mm-hmm. you know, of that experience. All right. And um, 
So if you had to define a superpower, what would be your superpower? Is it empathy, compassion, or hmm. or your ability to see things, or or what is your superpower? I think my I think my biggest superpower, if you want to call it that, is um, I like a lot of different things, really, and that allows me to engage with people on different levels. Like I could meet, talk to someone, um, and they, they wouldn't believe how much that um, that I might have known about some like talking to some some white patient one time and I knew something about this this music and he couldn't believe that I knew this much about like um, this this those rock music stuff or this country western singer and uh, that just allowed uh, allow, th- those things allow you to get in the room with people and to break down barriers and so being able to feel as comfortable talking about you know dunking on somebody of course of course I love to do all that <laughs> at, 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 you know as talking about you know um, you know like you know something in, in, in a totally different part of the world I think that really helps me kind of um, you know really succeed as a, as a doctor and as a, as a teacher, just being able to people in that way. Yeah. In, in reading your book, uh, that resonates with me because all throughout your book, you have stories about where you kind of go through a level of discovery and then the connection mm-hmm. with either a person or um, an experience. So your ability mm-hmm. to connect with people definitely resonates with me. Last question. If you weren't a um, physician, psychiatrist, uh, what alternate career path would you have chosen? Okay, so um, well, so obviously the basketball one was chosen for me. Not good enough for that. <laughs> so uh, no, I, no, but, but no, but, but in all seriousness, I, I would I would say the thing that I'd probably be, you know, I'm writing, you know, I'd probably be like a a, a mystery writer. I love like just, I love telling stories. I love mystery. I love the the intrigue of it. And so I would probably do something like that. And maybe that's what maybe that'll be my second career once you know. You know, once I hit my kids are out of school and all that, I can uh, go that path. Yeah. You're a great writer, man. I mean, I can only imagine. Um, I, I don't. I guess I don't have much of an imagination. So, so most of what I read is biographies, that type of thing. Yeah. But if you wrote a mystery book, I'd, I'd check it out. I definitely would check it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 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 so maybe after this next one that's coming out, maybe that'll be the next one. The third one. There you go. Yeah, there exactly. you go. And by the way, are you going to do um, the audio portion, or are you going to? Because this one. Um, I don't know if they had an audio portion or not, but yeah, so, you know that first go round, man, I didn't have much input, right? You know, it was like because yeah. um, I was right. just starting out in the field, right? So that, so, yeah, so that that's all going to be worked out um, in the next okay. um, month or two. So we'll get all that figured okay. out. Exciting. Yeah, I'm looking, excited. I'm, I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I I love this conversation. I look forward to yeah. um to to maybe talking some more on, on the back end about that one. Well, awesome. Sure. You're always welcome to come back, and Dr. Tweedy, we really appreciate you taking the time and talking to us, sharing your ideas, sharing your thoughts of your books and. And just your experiences, um, like I said, I mean, it's fascinating. And, and we, like, we had Duff's in Pittsburgh. The, the smorgasbord is, is Andre. Yeah, about. Duff's, yeah, man. Yeah. And, and it's just fascinating meeting doctors and people like yourself who, who persevered and kept their eyes on the prize and made it happen. So we thank you for what you're doing and what you yeah. have done and what you continue to do. So thanks for being on the pod. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add that, um, you know, it's tough when, like like all of us have said, um, when you have such a wealth of knowledge and experiences, you know, and trying to pack it into one hour, just, yeah. you know, figure out what. Yeah, no, so we, d- we definitely hope we can have you back on uh, once great. your other book comes out. And yeah, like, like Smiley said, it's, it's been incredible. Yeah, this is great. This made my day. 